0: I've never been the sort of cues of living on the edge. But at the quarry, I just rear back and jumped right off the ledge. My granddad
1: used to say... Hey everyone, it's Rob with Four Songs, coming at you with another episode. Finally, can you believe it? Some consistency in this podcast. Who'd have thunk it? And here's the best news. I've got more on the way. So what you can do, to make sure you don't miss anything, is subscribe on Twitter. Subscribe, however you listen to this podcast. Find me at Four Songs 2 That's at Four Songs number two. Share, like, favorite, whatever it is you do on social media these days. Make sure your friends know about this too, so you can support the bands that come on this show. So, you think you've been productive during COVID? I mean, maybe you started a new job. Maybe you've got a new podcast. Or, hey, wait a minute. That sounds like me. Anyway, we know this is not about me. So, if you think you've accomplished a lot over the last three years... Get ready to listen to my next guest, renowned folk singer John McCutcheon. For you see, John has not written just one album, not just two, but three since March 2020. And as you'll hear in this interview, he's just getting started. Now, John is not new to writing music. In fact, he's been at it since the late 60s. He was inspired after watching the 1963 March on Washington, watching it on TV with his mom, and listened to the folk music. It was folk music that brought that group together, whether it was Bob Dylan, John Baez, or others. And it was married with a social movement that is critical to what makes folk music what it is. It's participation music. It's people singing back and forth to each other. And John was hooked from the start. And from there, John quickly grew to love folk music and as a young adult moved to Appalachia to learn more about music, folk music in particular, and the instruments from the people from the mountains. During that time, John made connections with legendary folk singers like John Paxton, whom he so writes with to this day, John's newest album, Leap, was released in September 2022, his third in three years, and his 43rd of his career. I mean, good Lord, I don't think I've done 43 of anything in my career. We talk about four songs from Leap, The Ride, The Troubles, Sorry Land, and Work. We spoke from his home in Georgia, as John was basking in the success of his Atlanta Braves. Prior to the interview, we talked about baseball, a subject, quite frankly, that I think either one of us could have spent a whole hour or more talking about, And I got to tell him, as his Braves close in on another deep playoff run, I'd like to remind him that it was the 2019 Washington Nationals that showed the world how to beat the cheating Houston asterisks in the playoffs. But I'm not bitter. Nah, not anymore. Anyway, most importantly, we talked about Leap, his songwriting influences, and how he hopes to stay useful as a folk singer where his songs now are probably more relevant than they ever were before. So please welcome John McCutcheon to Four Songs.
2: John, welcome to Four Songs. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you for for being here. And I know you've been quite productive since all this pandemic started in March 2020. That's when I started doing this show. And we're here to talk about your new album, Leap, which is coming out in September. And it feels like we're at that point in the pandemic now where new albums are coming out that were written and recorded. But this is your third album, correct? Since... (laughs)
3: yeah yeah well when i was relieved of of the regular trips to the airport and going off and playing hither and yon i just thought well what am i how am i going to spend my time and i thought well maybe i'll just sit down and write every day and it it came fast and it came easy and i was excited by what was showing up on my legal pad every morning and i just kept doing it because it's you know what i do
2: yeah I mean, so it doesn't sound like it took you that long then to just kind of settle into that, that reality. I mean,
3: no, it, it didn't at all because I had been overseas. I was in Australia when this all started and I got home. And because I've been overseas and then on that little tubular Petri dish that an airliner is for about 24 hours, you know, my mother, 91-year-old mother-in-law lived with us and, and my wife's diabetic. And I just thought, well, nah, I got to get out of here for a while. And I did. I mean, I didn't have chores. wasn't going to the store. wasn't going to the gym. All the things that occupied my day. And and once you get in the groove, I mean, I had to stop. A lot of the songs on Leap were written a year earlier because all of a sudden I had 150 songs, and I thought, well, what am I going to do with
2: this? Because one of the things when I started doing this, and it was early on in the pandemic, talking to some singer songwriters who were saying, you know, it was actually really hard for them at first, to adjust to this new normal because they're not on the road. They're not people watching, I guess, for lack of a better term, and experiencing that that part of life. And so I'm wondering, like, was there something about having that time that just led to this burst of creativity for you?
3: I learned how to let go, hmm. I guess, was a lot of it. And started to think, well, maybe this is really what my job is. I mean, I'm 70 years old now. Um, but hell, I'm right? Tom Paxson, who's 85, who who, who is like a you know a, a beacon out there for anybody who thinks you know when does the ju- when do the juices dry up? Well, they don't have to dry up. I mean, you're not a glass; you're a well. Well, so
2: we'll get to leap in a few minutes, and that comes out in September. And but first, as I've mentioned at the outset, this is a, a podcast about songs and songwriting and. I've tried and failed miserably to write a song. So I'm always in awe of people like you who do it so well and, and for so long and consistently. And this may sound like a, a stupid question, but when did you realize that songwriting was what you wanted to do? I, I know reading through your biography and you've been doing this quite at an early age, but was there a point in time when it just like lightning struck and like, okay, this is what I want to do and I'm good at it?
3: Oh, I, I, I know when I want, decided I wanted to do it, I don't know that I've gotten to the point where I'm saying I'm, I'm really good at it. Uh, I'm getting good at it, I think. I, and I think the stuff that happened during the pandemic and just before it, you know, when I realized, okay, two important things for me um, are what's the story and what's, who, who is the voice? And once I can answer those two questions and then occupy that voice, then it gives me the opportunity to flesh out something in an entirely different way. I mean, I started writing songs since I got my first guitar. Um, I mean, my best buddy who started playing guitar four months before I uh, gave me the freewheeling Bob Dylan as a 14th, Birthday present. And that's when I got my guitar as a 14th birthday present from my parents. And it's a, an astonishing album. Uh, and, and I realized here's a guy from a town smaller than mine. And yet there's a whole world in his songs. How does he do that? But when I was 20, I decided I really wanted to uh, make a deep dive into Appalachian music. And I hitchhiked all over the region met all kinds of people and I was learning to play a bunch of different instruments. And when I would do a show, I would sing some of these puny little songs that I was writing next to these monsters of traditional music that had been worn smooth and beautiful in a thousand tongues before mine. And I realized how awful my songs were and I decided, well, I need to learn how to write songs the same way I learned to play the fiddle. And so I just, found those people who, who came out of the tradition, had that kind of rootedness and that kind of narrative style, and tried to figure out how did they do that in much the same way you'd hear, I would hear Roscoe Holcomb play the banjo. I'd say, how in the world is he doing that? And then teach myself how to do it. Uh, I, I think Gene Ritchie was my first songwriting hero. I mean, she's such a good songwriter that most people don't know she's a songwriter. So I just worked at it and mm-hmm. tried to emulate the great ones. That's how you how you learn how to play baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how, you, how you learn how to
2: write songs. Yeah. Well, yeah, I appreciate all that background because I think it sets up well for Leap, which, again, we talked about earlier, is your third album since the pandemic. And we'll get to the specific songs. We're going to talk about The Ride. The Troubles, Sorry Land, and Work. But if you can just talk a little bit about the album itself, and you, you mentioned the are written, I think, in the fall of 2020, and just how quickly it came to be, and then when you realized you had another album on your hands.
3: Well, I knew right away when I put out Cabin Fever, which was uh, the first of the three albums, and it was it was really the the songs that I wrote in the three weeks That I was quarantined in my cabin in North Georgia, Um, but I, I, you know, even while I was recording that, and I recorded it at home. I mean, there you couldn't go into a studio, right? And I also, it's the most naked album I've ever done, in that it was just me and an instrument, no overdubs, um, no harmonies, no bass player, nothing, because it felt like that was the nature of the album. It was a guy in quarantine right but it you know it takes it took time to record it and mix it and get artwork and everything together so i'm still writing as we're going along and um i thought well this is a nice problem to have um, but i have to figure out what kind of story this is all telling and i kept saying you know when i got the bucket list which was the second of the three albums it was like i was putting I had this big body of songs and i was picking this and this and putting them together and see how the chess pieces worked and i kept there were songs that i would say oh no i'm going to save that for another album no i'm going to save that for another album and this is that other album Mm. in in some respects i think it's some of the best songs of the bunch and they're all over the place yeah yeah it's really wacky but and doing the album like Bucket List, um, I didn't want it to be just me. And I have a a, a group of uh, my, my musical recording posse has sort of solidified uh, about, oh, five, six years ago. It was like, oh, so this is my sound. These are the guys who, all of whom are incredible studio musicians. And some go out, like Stuart Duncan, goes out on the road with, anybody that can afford him Mm. when we get together live it's like here are the songs uh let's figure out what we're going to do them do with them and no i'm not going to give you charts i'm not going to give you the parts let's do this cooperatively and what has developed is the the fellas and they all happen to be fellas get really invested you know they want to know the backstories of the songs and they really you know they appreciate that i'm giving them the the freedom to just put their fingerprints on these things so now here we are all in our home studios emailing files all over the place it's it's crazy Mm -hmm. and the real the real magician in all this is bob dawson the the engineer who made it all sound like we were in the same room
2: yeah i guess there's an organic feeling you get even though like you're saying it does sound like you're all there and especially the ride the first song and we'll we'll just go right into it and there's a real breeziness to it and to me it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the album and like you're saying i really like to get into the background of songs so if we can go into a little detail about this song because it seems like it does it led to the perhaps the title of the album in the first place oh yeah so, like, at-
3: well one of the things i did at the beginning of the pandemic because uh, trying to avoid to get being fat and lazy i've kept up a pretty rigorous exercise regime my whole adult life is I, I, I bought a cheap treadmill, but I'm kinda kind of guy who would be easily bored just writing a treadmill. So I would listen to podcasts while I was on the treadmill. And my favorite podcast uh, was a radio show until this year <clears throat> called On Being. And it, it's hosted by this wonderful conversationalist. She's not even an interviewer named Krista Tippett. And she was talking with someone and I regret that I can't conjure up who this is, but they were talking about the point at which you make a decision about some action and the point between that and the result of that action, the result is often determined not by the decision, but the abandon with which you dedicate yourself to that decision. You know, you go all in. In this case, it was this kid, he's scared, he's jumping off into a quarry and you just think, well, I may belly flop at the end, but that's just one instant. In the meantime, baby, I'm flying.
0: I've never been the sort accused of living on the edge But at the quarry I just ran back and jumped right off the ledge My granddad used to say if you ain't living then you're dying Still I cannot be certain if I'm falling or I'm flying There's a surprise round every corner You best learn this from the start Knuckle down and buckle up, hold on to your heart
3: It was obviously a metaphor for just going all in on life. I mm-hmm. have a lot of it left. <laughs> yeah. so, so I'm uh, I'm being a lot more daring.
2: It feels like, you know, I don't know how it works for you. I've been talking to a number of different writers. that The way the songs come are very different. Some just arrive. Some take weeks, if not months. And to me, it seems like this one came pretty quickly, just the way it, the lyrically, just the syncopation of it. I don't know. And I could be reading too far into it, but I'm always curious, like how, how did they come to you, the inspiration? And does it, does it just like instant or did it take a while to get this one right? So,
3: yeah, I, I actually tend to write pretty quickly in these days when I was essentially writing a song a day, I would get it all together. And then when I was up at the cabin, I have a little room down below that I've set up a, a kind of a basic demo recording situation. And I will go down there and I'll do it. And then I will f- completely forget about it because I get up the next day and I write another song. When I walk my dog, I, off, I often take the, the, you know my phone with all these demos on it and I'll listen to it. And that's when I will do a lot of my rewriting. I've been doing this long enough that a lot of the editing happens pretty spontaneously. What has really sort of supercharged this, the speed of my writing is realizing that I want to wrap a lot of this up in a story. And so what is this story? And as I said before, what's the voice? So there's, there's a, a, a there's a, obviously a certain amount of uh, rewriting that happens, but it's most of it comes out pretty cleanly these days.
2: Before we leave this song, I do want to go back to you, talk about, you know, who was the voice and what's the story and the voice or the story. The voice is a, a young kid who kid, like just jumps off into the quarry. And I, I just wonder uh, when you put yourself into that that mindset, does that yeah, I know you say you write quickly, but is it when you once you decide that voice, is it just like that or do you have to kind of like mind anything or.
3: I usually come to the voice pretty quickly sometimes i will back up and say no no that's been done before so it's like you go into a room and you look uh, you know when i'm i I do these songwriting camps and one of the things i'm sure they're sick of me saying is watch the movie because i tend to write really cinematically i see these things if i could afford to make music videos (laughs) everybody would be sick of me so it's, it's like you go in and you know what the situation is and you look around you say, okay, who's talking? Who's gonna tell, you know, in this room of all these characters, who's gonna tell this story? And you settle and you, it's like you identify the most obvious voice. You and you that's what's really made a huge difference for me. All the courage that it took to
0: jump him back up there. If it was a good decision, well, the water will decide. If you ain't living, then you're dying. So just enjoy the ride. There's a surprise round every corner. You best learn this from the start. Knuckle down and buckle up and hold on to your heart.
2: the troubles is third person but I, I this one just jumped out at me cuz i like i'm sure you and like many, many Americans i i claim irish heritage and my grandmother's family actually was from a county in the republic right on the border of northern ireland and you know i think about where we are now and i think this is through your, your song and it just seems like this is a parallel to what we're seeing and i'm just curious from what led you to take on this this topic and then really
3: updated. Well, I, in 2019, I did a series of workshops and concerts in Belfast.
2: Hmm.
3: I'd never been there before though. My family is from Northern Ireland. So it was with really wide open eyes and a kind of hunger to find out more about this country and this people that my family was a part of at least for a while between their emigration from Scotland and their emigration to Canada and eventually the United States. And in the workshops, the songwriting workshops that I was doing, and this was almost 20 years after the Good Friday Mm, Agreement, it was still, a presence in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And most of the people who were in the workshop were in their 30s and 40s, so they had grown up during the troubles. And so many of them were working it out through their songs, and they were really, really wonderful songs. And one of the concerts I did over there was with Tommy Sands, who's an old, old friend of mine, and probably one of the great unsung heroes uh, outside of Ireland in helping resolve the troubles. I came back to this country seeing the kind of sectarianism that reflected so much of what was happening over there and what's happening in Israel and what's happening in Iraq and Iran and what's happening in Africa and what's all these places that We think of these things happen over there, and I see it unfolding right here, and it's tragic and pointless.
0: In the times of the troubles, tired and aggrieved, neighbors kill neighbors. They believed and they knelt in their churches Prayed to the same God Never once doubting the path that they tried The confusion and enmity on full display Revenge, retribution, the rule of the day To the history of hatred.
2: We all are made slaves to kill in revenge. You'd best dig true. And it's a gorgeous song, I mean, both musically and lyrically. And you kind of have that there's that old Lincoln, I think it's a Lincoln quote we talk about praying to the same God, you know, in the Civil War here, and obviously the troubles were the Civil War. And you know, I grew up as a youngish Gen Xer, you know. Came of age, and the Berlin Wall fell, and the Soviet Union collapsed, and the Peace Accord, and apartheid ended, and it seemed like a pretty exhilarating time to be alive. And now it's like, oh boy. And the song really just struck out at me. Also, what I like about it is that you don't, you don't, really, you don't really take sides, and you don't point fingers. And I think that's what's so important about it.
3: That would have been antithetical to the whole notion. Of yeah. What this is, it's, uh, you know, you're asked to take sides. Uh, Place your bet a bet you all lose of wedge before you
0: imagine You on the ledge, one path or the other. They ask you to choose casting your lot with a bet you all lose. We think of the troubles, the far and the few, Protestant, Catholic, Palestinian Jew and Republican Democrat, the
3: left and the right. You know, I have lived in the South for 50 years. I was raised in Wisconsin. I came down here because I fell in love with the music. And I have always had neighbors who I would disagree with on lots of stuff. But we still loved one another because we were neighbors, and we had, in especially in rural areas, you had to depend upon one another. And you realized, yeah, I I don't like the fact that you're a Braves fan and I'm a Yankee fan. You know, it, it's it's it can often come down to stuff like that. And granted, there's there's some much more life and death matters, but you know, when your barn is on fire, you're not checking the fire brigade to see who voted for whom. You know, you see, this is an emergency, all hands on deck. Yeah. And I feel like we're kind of in that place as a country.
2: Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. you only got two more songs. And uh, next one up is Sorry Land, which, again, all too relevant. And feels like an updated version of John Primes' Paradise, in a sense. Yeah. And, but very different uh, music and very different timing in terms of what we're talking about here. But I I noticed in some of the notes that uh, Wendy sent that you wrote a lot of these sort of like in your cabin on the mountain, I presume. Is that?
3: Mm -hmm. Mostly, mostly.
2: Yeah, and I wonder if this was one of them and just kind of having that landscape as your inspiration, how that may have led to to this song.
3: Well, this is more of a landscape for me 40 and 50 years ago. When I first moved south, I was spending a lot of time in East Kentucky and West Virginia and, and Upper East Tennessee. Southwest Virginia, all of which are coal mining territory, which is so very different. There's no coal in North Georgia. So you don't look out and see a mountain that used to be, that is no longer there and it's sparse vegetation and mudslides and stuff like that. So it's, I've, I've actually written a lot about coal and the effects of Mountaintop removal, which is just, you know, sort of a gentrified way of talking about strip mining, but this puts it in a slightly different place. It talks more about the broad form deed.
0: Every time trying to make it right, but it's like
3: the land is dying. Broad form deed was something that was put into place and and Kentucky got rid of it via a, a public referendum. And essentially what happened is at the beginning of the 20th century, when the extractive industries in the Appalachians were really getting going and we're talking about first it was timber and later coal immediately following on coal was gas and and natural gas. And so people representatives from those companies would come through and knock on people's doors and say, we want to buy the the mineral rice to your land. You know, my land's not for sale. No, 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 we don't want your land. We want what's underneath the land. And for that, we will pay you, you know, it started off at 25 cents an acre. And by the time my farm was on the market and I bought it, it was a dollar an acre and you know we had enough land that paid our property taxes Mm -hmm. and it was like oh well well, free money but what the broad form deed indicated was that the company who holds the rights to your minerals can retrieve those minerals in any fashion they choose which meant building roads i mean Mm -hmm. the language my deed was canals uh, waterways and and these were used a lot. People would come in, and as the song says, and it's certainly not the first songs to talk about family cemeteries being buried, creeks and and you know wells poisoned and creeks turn brown because there's no there, there's no longer any vegetation on the on the hillside, and when it rains, it just big mudslides are coming down, and we saw some of that happen just recently in Southeast Kentucky.
0: up the graves where people sleep greed and power don't come cheap at night upon my knees i pray these rains won't wash my dreams away right here's where i'm gonna make my stand we ain't got more than this sorry land when i was a kid i fished these creeks deep in the woods i played hide and seek i these my knees. got weak was a long lifetime ago and the man showed up with the broad-form deeds. Lies are thick, is Jim sweet. Said the nation had its needs to be satisfied
3: by the it. was a really fun one to write, and it was a little musically perkier. Yeah, because <laughs> I
2: was, I've wondered about that, how obviously that's a conscious decision to, to have it that kind of like with the drum beat and yeah. to keep it. Not, that's not a light song, but just gives it that like, OK, this is a catchy, peppy song. And then you listen to lyrics like, oh. There's something more going on
3: here.
2: <laughs> what about well, you make as, that decision?
3: I remember being a part of a, a, a political music workshop years ago with Holly Near, and she said something that sometimes when when you're about to say something terrible, smiling while you say it makes it a little easier to digest and to hear. Because otherwise you're just totally incapacitated by it. And uh with this, I just thought, um when I wrote it, I had that sort of jumpy guitar part. And when we you know we brought the drum we actually brought the drummer into the studio, he overdubbed the drums on this, believe it or not, which is shows you how Bass Ackwards <laughs> And I, I just had some stories I wanted to tell, and uh, I, I think I just didn't want to wear the listener out.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we're going to wrap things up with "Work," which uh, I feel like I've said this every song we talked about. It's another incredibly relevant song, and but speaking of a, a, just dark storytelling, it's just it's brilliant. The, the you tell such a wide you cast a wide net, but the the lyrics, the the gold watch it's shiny and useless, and you're telling quite a story here, and it seems like from a, from beginning to end, and it's, that's that movie I guess you're talking about. But that opening verse is that, that packs a punch. Well, you know,
3: my wife is watching a is binging a a television show right now that I've seen. Every now she's learned that she that you can pack a lot of information into a seemingly innocuous phrase you're giving you're giving a lot of information and so uh, you know i wanted to this guy's obviously retired mm-hmm. gold watch you know and and he's and so many older men that i know kind of putter around their house because they don't know what to do when they're not showing up at the at the office at the factory at the clinic wherever they work <laughs>
0: Old watch sits shiny and useless in the drawer with his mother's old locket. His time as ever hangs from a chain securely tucked in his front pocket. He potters about filling his days with lists of forgotten old chores. Marking his hours with silence, he never heard down on the factory floor.
3: And there's there's another song on the album about my father-in-law, my Cuban father-in-law, showing up for his first day at work, at his first job in this country after he immigrated. And so, I kind of went back there, you know, the immigrant story of you know my father, you know your father came in here and he didn't know anything about the language or about the land and and now it's your turn to pick up you know the mantle, and your whole family is counting on you, but you still you know you'll go down to the bar after the shift, yeah and, and you have this relationship with these other people that you work with, and eventually. Now you're all retired and you're all meeting for coffee. And you're saying, well, geez, you know, it's like nobody misses me there because somebody came along and just picked up the job. In the morning for coffee,
0: relive the old days once again. Stooped by the years into the shadows of once worthies, eager young men took up their tools, who took up the task, with work that was honest and real. Building a nation in a world and a future as strong and as bright as the steel.
3: You know, the conversations that happened with retired workers, because I've, I mean, every writer I know, every good writer is a good eavesdropper. Mm-hmm. Well, I can't tell you how many times I have lingered for hours at some restaurant because there's a really interesting conversation going over here and and that's part of where this song came from was you know that this work is honest and real right to the people. and there's they say that someday there'll be a machine that'll make every bit of this steel mm-hmm. and you think, well where will the young people go for work that is honest and real off the
0: tongs and the hammer to the next one who's coming along and the work it gets done just the same as before they scarcely will notice you're gone they say that one day there will be a machine that'll make every bit of this steel and you wonder where will all the young people go to find work that is honest and real.
3: I'm glad you picked this song, frankly, because I, when I put all these songs together in this album, I thought there are going to be some songs that people just they'll pass over. But I think this is an important song. So thank you for picking it.
2: Yeah, well, I, it's funny. And talking to you, I, that other part of it that I hadn't thought much about was just what when you work these jobs and then you're retired and like, what do you do at that time? I mean, I think yeah, we all yeah. know people who have struggled with that time when they're like, I used to be, every day I was filled with something. I was making decisions or I was doing this. And then all of a sudden it's gone. And no matter how you like you think about it, oh, my, like my dad, he planned his retirement. The whole time is working, and so he just was an exception, I think, to the rule. Unfortunately, he he passed before he could enjoy it. But I think of so many people I know who, when they are they stop working, they lose a lot of their, their sense of who they are. And,
3: well, yeah. and it's, and and I think some of it is that you felt like you were being useful. Mm-hmm. You were doing something that was productive and that helped your family, helped your community, helped. The world, you're building steel, you know. I mean you're making steel and they take they build ships and airplanes and bridges and um you know, I have been with old timers who will say, see that building? I built that.
0: Hmm.
3: And you could look with pride, and now it's a you have that app on your phone? Right. (laughs) I coded
2: that. Yeah, and then it's good two weeks later it's irrelevant. (laughs) That's that's yeah. the, the mentality. Well, I, I was
3: version two point one. oh
2: Yeah, that was the good one. Yeah, everyone one that like I had to re-enter all my contacts again. Man. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, John, I want to thank you so much for your time tonight. As as we wrap up, you're going back on tour. Is that? I
3: I, I I've been out some in the spring. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everything in the winter dried up when the omicron, this okay. its, its little viral head. Certainly doing less than I used to do. It was part of the advantage of this little practice for retirement. Do I really need to go to get on an airplane every weekend? No, no, I like being home. I like, maybe I should be writing more and touring less. I'm out there about half as much as as I used to be, and that's just fine with me and probably fine for everybody else <laughs>
2: Well, so in terms of how they people can get leaked, so I see your your folkmusic.com, is, is that where people can go get a copy of it?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's going to an artist's website is always the most advantageous to the artists themselves. Right. It, you know, now that there's not local CD stores like there used to be, it, it's a, it's more direct stuff. But the, all the usual places, iTunes, Amazon, uh what few local cd stores there are they all have it and uh, so shop
1: local as much as you can
2: yeah okay well thank you john greatly appreciate your time tonight sure thing rob
1: so my thanks again to john mccutcheon for joining me and for giving us all the inspiration that we need especially as our country faces some difficult times right now anyway thanks for john for making us all feel like we have a lot to give i want to thank you for listening And I want you to stay tuned because I got a lot more coming. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon.